Today I want to talk and I want to continue in the vein that I have been uh, speaking about for the last number of messages, and we have been talking about prayer. Now I'm not talking about the pathetic, begging, pleading prayer that religion has um, taken on the word prayer and how we pray, it is literally you have to look to see who understands prayer. And so today I'm going to entitle uh, the messages that I speak in these next three, uh, these three services, authoritative prayer. As a young man, I would watch people pray. And I'm going to just tell you how I felt. I would watch people who talked about prayer, bragged about prayer, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And the more they prayed, the weirder they got. The more they prayed, the less they seemed to get from God. And as I would watch these people pray, and in my head I kind of divided people into three categories. The first group would pray, but they were always praying, begging and pleading. And they reminded me of defeated people. And they were praying from a position of defeat. Oh, God, please, we, we just plead, Father. We plead this, we plead, no, God. They would weep, they would cry, and they would tell me as a young man that their intercession was causing things. Now, I never saw much victory in their lives, and I didn't see much happen for them, but they seemed to be the defeated believers. Then I noticed there was others who, when they prayed, they were very militant. And, oh, boy, when you heard them pray, it sounded so powerful. Powerful because they prayed with a voice tone and they prayed in a way that was in the name of Jesus. And you think, oh my Lord. And just the tone seemed to bring such authority. But as I watched them month after month, year after year, they were always militantly fighting the devil. And I didn't see much change in their lives. And then as I watched other people, they seem to pray differently. They seem to know how to pray. They had a wisdom. They knew the word. And because of that, they seem to sense and understand the leading of the Spirit in even how to pray. And so I recognize that that is literally the triumphant church, his glorious church, who understands the word of God at the cross to the throne. And so today as I teach on prayer, if you've never heard it put out to you this way, I want you to check it in the word. I want you to understand that prayer, as I talked about last time, is an honor. It is a privilege that the God of the universe, you can't get to the Queen of England. You can't get to the popular singers in today's world. You can't get to the popular actors in today's world. To get an audience with them would be almost impossible. Yet you have access to the King of Kings. You have access. And when you have access, it literally means that you and he can begin to change things. And so today, we're going to talk about triumphant prayer so that you and I when we pray we expect an answer to every prayer if we pray correctly if we pray according to his word the expectation is all your prayers 
get answered. The expectation to religious praying is bombard the skies, either the pleading and the begging group who are the defeated church or the militant screaming angry group who all they ever are focused on is the devil. They're so focused on the devil that they don't even know how to pray right. They actually think he has that much power. But the new covenant does not teach us that. So as we go into the scriptures today, I want to show you something which is really interesting. Um, the Bible says, and we covered this last time, to pray at all times in Ephesians 6.18, and on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer. So as we teach on prayer, it's crucial that you understand the principles, not to get legalistic, but so that as you understand the ways that God is teaching us in the Word, you will much easier sense and know the leading of the Holy Spirit. So now here's a, a very interesting thing. In James chapter 5, it's, it teaches us there, and I'm going to read it to you, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And then it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, I want to go into this so badly and teach, but I want to get to something else real quickly. It says here, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. I want you to notice that in the book of James, it credits Elijah with praying effectively and stopping nature. Stopping uh, literally the, 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 the rain. Then we have him praying again, and rain comes. Tremendous power. And that verse is being taught to us in the book of James, a new covenant teaching book, right after the verse that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working, the Amplified says. But here's what is interesting about this teaching. When you go to 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18 that brings out this teaching, it literally says that Elijah gets up before King Ahab and says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there is not going to be dew or rain these years except at my word. Now, when you go through this teaching, and I'll show you, there's different places where it says God stopped the rain and God started the rain. Yet James says Elijah stopped the rain and Elijah started the rain. So is this 
a difference in the Bible? Is there something going on here that the Bible's not correct? No, it shows a stunning partnership that I have talked about in these last number of months. That God's will on this planet is not automatic. Just because God wants something does not mean that it happens. I'll give you a verse. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to an understanding knowledge of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want any to go to hell. He wants everyone going to heaven. Is that happening? No, but it is still his will. So there is a partnership between God and mankind, both in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and even in the new covenant, when we begin to understand how much authority has been given to people, you'll begin to recognize that God is always looking for someone, a man or a woman, to pray through and to move through. And as we learn to hear his voice, as we learn and how God functions, we will begin to cooperate with God, because God is continually trying to cooperate with you. Now, as you get into the word on this, you will find that after Elijah gets up and he says to King Ahab, because of the wickedness of what is going on, you know, when they went to serve other gods, it doesn't sound like that big a deal. But I dare you to research how they worshiped Baal, B-A-A-L. It's so awful that because children are listening, I won't mention how they worshipped. But it's disgusting. It's sick. It killed. It was, oh my. And so when they got off to worship other gods, they would begin to kill and maim and sacrifice and do stuff that was just disgusting. And so he's up there and he's saying to King Ahab, it's not going to rain because of what the country was worshipping and where they were going. And then you go through the story of how they called a competition between the prophets of Baal, over 400 of them, and one Elijah. And the God that answered by fire would be God. So these prophets, by the hundreds, begin to jump and cut themselves and cry out to their God, Baal, that he would answer and burn the sacrifice. And finally, he, nothing happened. It was Elijah's turn. He, he put the rocks in place, put the animal sacrifice on top, poured buckets of water all over. He prayed a simple prayer. And wham, out of a completely clear sky with not a cloud came a bolt of lightning that literally, it went in, and it smoked out the rocks, the sacrifice, it ate up the water in the trenches, and, and it just shocked everybody. And I want you to notice that the prophets of Baal, their praying was pleading, begging. Then they would cut themselves and blood was flowing freely when it was their turn to pray. But when the prophet Elijah prayed, it was one simple 30-second prayer. And wham! God showed up on the scene. That is a beautiful example that when you know who you are in Christ, when you and I are in, in, in line with him, hearing from him, the answers to prayer are fast, they're dramatic, they're powerful, and every believer on the planet must understand their right 
to pray, the privilege of prayer. They must understand why you can pray. Why do you have authority? The different kinds of prayer and where to use them. Though Then we go and as Elijah walks away from that thing, the drought hits. And the Bible says that God spoke to Elijah and he says, I want you to go to this brook because it is there that I have commanded ravens to feed you. As the, he went there, he had water, he had food, the ravens would bring him food. Then God spoke to him again because the brook dried up. And he said, we're going to get you to go to this woman over here. And I have commanded her to feed you there. There is always a place called there in your life. There is where you use your money. There is where you'll find a job. There is where I want you to be. God will always guide you in the midst of droughts, in the midst of famines, in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of governments and all that goes on. There is a place for God's people. And individually, you, he will guide you financially. He will guide you health-wise. He will guide you when it comes to every area of your life. Where? There. There is a place called there that God will guide you there. And you need to know how to pray and how to understand in this area of prayer. Now, Elijah, he goes back to the king. And I encourage you to read the story. And he says to them, after this prophet's thing, this competition, he says to the king, he says, it's going to rain. Then he goes up onto Mount Carmel. And there's not a cloud in the sky. He brings his servant, his helper, with him. And the Bible says that he has now spoken to the king and said, God has said it's going to rain. He says, I can hear the sound of rain. I don't know what he was listening to, but it wasn't the physical world because he was listening to the Spirit of God. Then he gets up on the mountain, and while he is there, he puts his head, he bows down, puts his head between his knees. I mean, literally, this is the Hebrew woman's birthing position. He is in prayer, and he says to the young man, can you see a cloud? No. Go again. No. Go again. No. Go again. No. Seven times. He just sends him back. He's not praying up there going begging and pleading. He's praying because God needs a human being for his will to come forth into this earth. Otherwise, once he declared there was rain, why would Elijah need to go up on Mount Carmel and pray? He's praying in faith. He's praying expecting. He's praying with authority because God has spoken to him, and he's not stopping. It is going to rain. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. And that young man goes back and he looks. Then he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand in the distance. And he, Elijah jumps up and he says, let's go. And the king races with his fastest horses for Jezreel. And the Bible says the prophet Elijah outran the king's chariots and beat him to the city they were going to. I, I want you to understand something. That for you and I to see the will of God done on the planet. There is this naive, lazy mindset in Christians today that goes like this. Well, if God wants it, he'll do it. God knows where I live. If God sees something, let him do it. No, no, no. You don't get it. On the planet, it says the heaven is the Lord's, but the earth he has given 
to the sons of men. The original command in Genesis to Adam was to subdue this planet, to have dominion, to dominate this planet, to rule like a king. When you go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, it talks there that we have been given a gift of righteousness now that we're in the new covenant and that we are to reign as kings. The word reign means to rule. You are called to rule. And as we talk about prayer and as we continue to teach on prayer, I want to show you that you must speak up. You must be speaking the word of God, not from a defeated church perspective, begging as though God is thinking about it. When people hear us pray in our churches, if, that, if it's a begging, defeated type of church, people go, what in the world is wrong with God? You've got to beg him to heal somebody? That is sick. You're trying to change God's mind? Then we've got people who watch people with militant churches, and all they talk about is the devil. I'll never forget a young man walking up to me in one of our services, and he had told a number of people he was going to kill me. He had got a group of people together to help him. He worshipped Satan, and he walked up in one of our services dressed in black, white makeup on his face, and informed me he was going to kill me. And he said, do you know who I am? And I said, yeah. I had never met him before, but I knew by the Spirit of God this was the guy that was, was supposed to be killing me. And I laughed and I said, I don't know who you serve, but I serve God. You don't have a hope of taking my life. And he looked at me and he goes, really? And he, we had a conversation. He had a daughter that couldn't walk properly. There was something wrong with her feet. He said, well, I heard you talking about God healing. Would, would God heal my daughter? I said, yeah, go get her. He went and got his daughter. We sat around for 20 minutes. There was about 100 people left. The service, the prayer service was over on a Wednesday night. Brings his daughter back and uh, laid hands on her in front of all these people and him. And his daughter just walked away from the chair. This little two-year-old just walked right away, completely healed, ankles and legs, in front of him and in front of the church. And on the spot, he gave his life to Christ. In my discussion with him, Afterwards, I asked him, why in the world would you say to me that you worship Satan? Why would you say to me that you are um, offering a sacrifice? You're going to sacrifice me? To, what's with this? And it's a long story, but the very opening point is this. In his church, he was a born-again Christian. And in his church, they all continually talked about the devil. It was the devil did this, the devil did that. They were binding the devil, screaming against the devil, pleading with God to do something. And he said, one day my young mind in his, in his, in his early 20s realized the devil's got more power than God. Listen to these people scream at the devil. Listen to them cry and weep and ask God to please help, and God never seems to help. If that's the case, I'm serving the devil. I'm worshiping the devil. And that's the degree that he went. Then when he met me and he recognized that I wasn't a defeated Christian, I wasn't this militant screaming at the devil who is so powerful kind of Christian. I was a triumphant, peaceful, joyful, not worrying. And when you understand that the world needs to see the true church of Jesus Christ, not a whipped, defeated, sniveling, whining, begging, 
God, not a militant screaming at the devil as though he has so much authority when Jesus has stripped him and declared that all authority is his and that he gives his church the command to go out. As we continue in this area of prayer, your position in how you think and in how you believe is crucial or you will waste the rest of your life praying in a way that you think is humble. You're begging, you're pleading with God as though God can't quite make up his mind. He'll think about it if you've earned it. No, no, that is not the new covenant praying. And it is not screaming at the devil as though he is so powerful. It is staying focused on the word and declaring in faith the promise that is already assured and it is yours, that Jesus has made you righteous, and that the gift of righteousness is yours as a believer. That as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. It says in so many places in the epistles, it teaches that we are in Christ. That, you know, I am crucified with Christ, it says. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave his life for me. And so I am living this life with the old Leon dead and gone. And because of that, the enemy can take none of my sin, none of my failure against me. Jesus became a curse, Galatians 3.13 says, that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So no curse written in Deuteronomy 28, verses 16 and on, is allowed in my life because I know that is my right and I know that I am a part of the family of God. I am an heir of all of his promises. I am righteous because of Jesus. And as Jesus walks this planet, I am the walk this planet. I don't even waste a moment with the devil. If he happens to show up somewhere, I'd go in Jesus' name. Other than that, I speak the word. I prophesy to my future. I declare what is going on in my life. And the Bible teaches us that when his word gets in our heart, it is what grows our future. My time is up here, but I want to challenge you today to understand that if you do not spend time understanding prayer and understanding your authority in prayer, and I'm going to say this, much of the intercessory prayer movement okay, that took place a number of years ago, and I was a part of it. I was trying to learn prayer and understand prayer. And intercessory prayer is one of nine kinds of prayer, intercessory prayer. And people would use that for this incredibly complicated type of praying out of the Old Testament. And intercessory prayer needs to be understood since the cross. Yes, we know that Abraham interceded for a city. And we can learn from the Old Testament stories. But all the Old Testament stories must be understood through a new covenant in what Jesus did on the cross. And so my challenge to you is listen to these messages. Go back to the message I did last week. Listen to it again. And I want you to be such an effective prayer person that when you pray, you just know it's going to happen because I am praying knowing God's will. I am praying knowing God's timing. I am praying knowing that nothing can stop it. The enemy can't stop my prayer and my um, 
inability to live perfectly can't stop my prayer because Jesus has gifted me my right standing with God. Jesus has made it possible and he has qualified me for every promise. So when I pray, I pray like it was Jesus Christ himself praying. And as you begin to understand new covenant prayer, I'm telling you, you're going to get so excited, you can't wait to begin to pray. You can't wait to begin to find some time alone and sense and hear God. And as we go and we take a look at the different kinds of prayer and why they're so beautiful and how Holy Spirit can guide you in these prayers, there's a reason why Paul and Silas simply sang and praised God and the jail was destroyed. There's a reason as you get into the Word of God that you, what you bind is bound. What you loose is loose. Oh, prayer is the most unique, beautiful, incredible teaching in the Word of God when you stop being religious and you lose all this thinking that praying is bugging and shotgunning prayer at the sky and hopefully one of them will get through. Or like so many parents who pray for their kids or pray for people they love, they make deals with God. God put that sickness on me, not on my child. And they don't understand that's not, that's not the issue. The sickness was put on Jesus. So you don't need it. How do we pray effectively? So I pray that today's message challenges you and puts a desire within you to become a person of prayer. Notice I'm not calling it a prayer warrior. Okay, because I think that has given a picture that we are fighting the devil every time. I don't think about the devil. I declare the promise, and he hasn't got a hope in hell of stopping that promise spoken through a person who has faith in their heart and declares what the will of God is. The, the enemy, he's, just, he's running so far behind he can't. So why am I focused on a defeated foe? It is misdirection. It is like that magician who plays tricks in front of kids and he'll misdirect you on one side while he pulls the rabbit on the hat. No, the devil is good at at lying signs and wonders. But when you realize that he's not my focus, my focus is on the cross, the resurrection, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and the rights and the privileges that have been given to me. And you get up and you start going somewhere. As a young man, as a pastor, as a church was growing and, and just exploding from just a few hundred into thousands God gave me a dream one time because so many people would say things and talk about me and situations would arise. And, and I'd always want to defend myself and prove to people that my heart was right and prove, no, I'm not doing that. No, that's not what I'm doing. And, and one day in this dream, I saw this lion and it was walking through a busy jungle and it was going somewhere. And these little hyenas would jump out and nip at it. And I'd see this lion turn and chase the hyena into the jungle. And then it would get all caught up on chasing. And then another one would nip it and it would run all over the way here. And God spoke to me. And he said, stop listening to the people around you, the mouths that talk about you, accuse you, condemn you, lie about you. 
It's the enemy trying to get you off the course that I have set before you. And then I saw this lion, and you know, Jesus is the lion of Judah, and we are in him. I just saw this line just moving on in the direction that God had given it, just not paying attention to all the little things coming against it because nothing was going to stop it from fulfilling what God had called it to do. Jesus has spoken to you through his word, and he says that he has come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Get up and live. That brings glory to God. Get up and live. That's the best revenge you could have if you want to call it that against all the mouths that are talking against you, lying, etc. Get up and live in joy. Get up and live in health. Get up and live in a prosperousness that allows you to give to the things of God. Get up and live with joy. Get up and live with peace. Get up and live with patience and long-suffering. This is the life that we live, and it's when we live this this, 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 this life that is a life of triumph. We are the glorious church without spot and wrinkle. We are the triumphant church that is going somewhere. As you live that life in your marriage, your finances, your career, your health, your home, your friends, your family, the world begins to be attracted to a race of people, not a human race, but a spiritual race. We are in the kingdom of light. We serve Jesus Christ, and it is the place to be if you want to walk on this planet where the thief is going to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you, that you might have life and more abundantly, which means superior in quality, innumerable in quantity. Father, I pray that every person listening to me right now would wake up to the honor that prayer is. That they would wake up to their rights and privileges, that they can come boldly into the throne room. It's the throne of grace. That they can declare the promises of God. That, Father, we are the triumphant church, praying from a place of victory, praying from a place of already been given all the promises. And, Father, our prayer lives will change as we pray for our governments, our generations, our lives. There's nothing that can stop it. And, Father, for those who don't know you, I pray right now that you would speak to them and touch them. If you're watching me right now and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm a born-again believer. Well, then, <clears throat> I want you to pray this prayer. It's not the prayer that is powerful. It's your lips meaning it that is powerful. You just say to God, God, thank you for sending Jesus. He died in my place. He took every punishment or curse that I should have expected. And I'm now free. So Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. From today and on, I'm following you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That is powerful what you just did. You have just changed kingdoms from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, continue to watch. Learn you who you are in Christ, who you are, what you are, and how to live out the purposes that God has for you and I.